I think that matters less than what we're actually trying to teach in terms of the values, guidelines that we had to live by within our own organization. This is High Stakes from Gerard Inc. I'm David Schifrin with Gerard Inc. In this week's conversation, we hear from James Cervantes and Ali Carr. James is a senior vice president at the firm. He leads our regional health systems practice. Ali is a senior managing advisor, also in regional. And the two of them recently spent some time on the ground with clients working on diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, helping them think through how to approach the work and continue integrating DEI into the culture of the organization. It's especially tough and also especially important today in an election year and at a time when, as James mentions early on, there is huge pushback in some areas against even using the DEI terminology. So in that environment, how do healthcare providers who have the desire and the mission and the obligation to care for everyone push forward in that work and also help each member of their workforce feel like they belong, like they are part of the mission, that they are supported and can do their best work to care for everyone who comes through the door? For more information about our DEI work and how it fits into the way that we approach change and change management, go to gerardinc.com forward slash DEI. That's J A R R A R D I N C.com forward slash DEI. Allie and James, thanks for your time. I know you all have been doing a lot of work around DEI for hospitals and health systems for provider organizations recently and have been spending time on the ground in the room with folks talking about these issues. Before we get into that, I would love to hear broadly where do things stand today with diversity, equity and inclusion as a large-scale initiative within healthcare. There was so much during the pandemic in the wake of George Floyd's murder. Where do we stand today with, again, with kind of DEI as an initiative? Yeah, sure, so I'll start. Yeah, I think you're right. I think at 2020, after the murder of George Floyd and COVID, obviously there was a strong push for this work in healthcare because we saw all the inequities that COVID laid out. It was also, I guess, understandable that at that time the pendulum kind of shifted very high in one way, so I think the conversation today is it slowing down or people pulling away from it. My opinion is that maybe it slowed down a little bit, but I think that's normal from where it was in 2020, right? Like everything has changed drastically since then. The work that we're doing, there's still many healthcare systems who are taking a stand on this work. They see the importance of this work. They know that from a diversity, equity, inclusion side internally, what that means to build stronger culture and engagement with their team members. So that's one side of it. And then also because it's healthcare, the other side is the addressing the inequities that we know exist. So I think for healthcare, it's maybe more salient than other industries. I'm not sure what other industries are doing as far as slowing down, but I think in healthcare, it's still a very salient conversation and it's still a main focus of most healthcare systems. We literally saw yesterday in Becker's, I think CEOs asking what their number one priority was for 2024. It's workforce. It's the first time I think in 16 years, they said, where workforce is a priority over the economics or the finance of their system. So in, in our mind, you can't talk about workforce without talking about your culture and without talking about inclusion and being a place of belonging. So I think everything Alan just said is spot on in the sense that creating a culture of inclusion, belonging, and investing in DNI 
has to be part of an organization's priorities for this year. Unfortunately, I think what we see in some organizations, they're going in the other direction where they're dismantling their DEI programs because they either don't believe in it or a small group of people don't believe in it at the highest levels or states are tightening and putting in place policies that don't allow them to have a health equity officer, chief diversity officer, or even say certain words like diversity and equity. So I think we see some organizations responding to states' policies, but others are very much continuing the work and in some ways weaving it into their other parts of their organization. So whether you have a health equity officer or a chief diversity officer, or in some cases you have neither, but it's being woven into the work of your human resources or your people and culture team. So again, I don't think it matters as much as do you have a specific structure stood up for this work or a specific leader. It's more important that you're actually doing the work and you're looking inward and you're making sure that you're investing in these areas for your people, because to make an impact in the community, you really have to make sure that you're doing the same for your people within the walls of your organization. Using the example of organizations in states where you're not allowed to say certain words, you talked about the importance of doing the work, having the structure, infusing it into your culture regardless. So whether or not you're in a state where you know there are legal requirements about the language that you're using, I feel like there's something interesting in that because if you can figure out how to do the work anyway, regardless of the terminology, then you're doing the work. And so maybe it's obviously not a good situation, but maybe there's a lesson in there to say, okay, w- words matter. Obviously, we're communicators here. Words matter. The language we use matters. But also, let's get away from what we're calling it and just doing the work. So how do you look at the just do the work part of it, regard- again, regardless of what state you're in? Yeah, I think exactly what you said, that language does matter. But if language is a barrier to getting the work done, then we can kind of, you know, where we need to not use certain language. But as long as we're still putting in the same actions that we talk about workforce, we know that a more diverse workforce produces better financial gains for the healthcare system. It also creates more positive experience for patients or customers in general, and also creates higher levels of retention and if you're trying to hire, that's also like high on people's list of people who are you're looking for top talent. They want to work at a place that is either diverse or inclusive or creates a culture of belonging and acceptance. Everyone wants that, right? That's just a human right is to want to belong. So you're right. It's just we can we don't have to necessarily get caught up on the specific terminology that one health system might want to use over another. But as long as the output is that they're having a more engaged workforce, more engaged team members, providers, all the way up to senior level is that's going to show through. And it also, again, I think is going to show through when it comes to how they treat and care for their patients. So Allie and I were at one of our clients who is in the Southeast. We were down there a couple of weeks ago to launch their equity and inclusion council among their leadership team. And it was so inspiring and encouraging to, to be part of that conversation and to hear from the highest levels of leadership at that organization how much they see this work as an investment in their people and in their community. They know it's the right thing to do. They know it aligns with their mission, with their vision and their values. That being said, they're in one of those states where you cannot say certain words. However, they all believe in the power of creating a foundational education and training program for their people. And so how do you 
pull through content and create that training if you can't say certain things. There's, I think to Ali's point, ways around that, right? So if we can't say things like diversity and equity, we can say things like inclusion and belonging and self-awareness and allyship and advocacy. So I think we can call it something different. I think that matters less than what we're actually trying to teach in terms of the values guidelines that we had to live by within our own organization. So I think there's certainly ways around that. I would just add too that what I saw that was encouraging from that meeting was that it was obviously it was the executives, so it was a C-suite, but it was not just half of the team or a small portion of the team or just the chief equity inclusion officer and the human resource officer. It was the chief medical officer. It was physicians from over quality and safety and patient experience. So it was really the entire health system that is bought into this work. And that was just inspiring to see. You anticipated my next question, Ali, because I'm curious about buy-in from people at every level of the organization. And we talked at the beginning about how there has been the pendulum swinging back and forth and maybe it's settling into a new steady state or whatever. But obviously there has been a ton of discussion and debate around equity. And just because of the political moment we're in, there's skepticism, there's pushback, obviously, otherwise there wouldn't be legislation against some of these things. So have you all experienced or heard from or observed anything from people who may have been skeptical but are coming around, beginning to understand the value? Are you seeing that shift at all? Yeah, I think the fact reminds me of so another health system that we're working with in the Midwest where, you know, so when it comes to equity, right, you think of health equity, a lot of that conversation is around what does the data show? And so when we communicate what we see the disparities are when it's on paper and in black and white that there are these huge disparities, then that kind of shifts the conversation right there because people can't deny that there isn't an issue that needs to be addressed. And that's part of, you know, the EMS and the Joint Commission, that's one of their first things that they're requiring is that people start collecting this data on social determinants of health. And then when you have the data, then we can address these issues. To achieve buy-in, you have to be able to paint the full picture and tell a story. To tell a story, you need you need data to do that. So one driving force in some of this work, yes, it is the policy. It's the CMS has regulations and requirements around that, but that's one piece of it. The other piece of it is exactly what Ali is describing for each community, each state, each part of the country, they're going to have a different set of gaps in care. We know it exists in all pockets of our country, but it may look a little bit different. So it's really important for healthcare organizations to understand where are those gaps in care. For some areas, it may be infant mortality among African-American women. For others, it may be diabetes among the Hispanic populations that they serve, right? So it's not going to be the same for each county or each area, but it's really important to be able to understand where are those gaps in care and use that data to tell your story. And that should be part of the driving force into why you're doing this work, to close those gaps in care and achieve greater equity for everyone. Uh, You're talking about data, and I've been thinking about retail healthcare, consumerism. I had a conversation about partnerships between health systems and retail healthcare, like your Walgreens and whatnot. Are any of those relationships leading to advances in health equity? Just thinking about the customer data that retail has on people, are we seeing that get tied into the delivery of care, whether it's through your urgent care clinic or through partnerships with health systems? I don't know about specific care delivery models, but 
what I would say is that I think a key one solution to closing some of these like gaps in care for some of these populations is access, right? So like, how do we create better, greater access for some of these communities or populations of people, right? Where they might be in food deserts or where they might have a set of social determinants of health that, you know, are outside the bounds of a healthcare organization. I think there's such a great opportunity and need for healthcare organizations, hospitals to partner with their community members to create greater channels for access and really start to solve those social determinants of health. While a hospital and healthcare organization has certainly a very important responsibility in the health needs of the communities that it serves, it can't do everything alone. It also, it needs to focus on clinical care. And we know that in order to achieve equity, you have to look at the whole person and the whole environment. And so I think it should be incumbent upon not just the healthcare organization, but all those retail clinics, grocery stores, members of the community to come together to help to solve those issues. So, yeah, I would just add, I think that's what drew me to be in, in healthcare and think about health communications and all is that it can be broader than just the health system, right? Because it has to be, they can't do it all on their own. So these community partnerships is a big part of this work. When we work with health systems, they have partnerships with the United Way, they have partnerships, I think Uber Health has some to create, to decrease the barriers when it comes to access. So there, that's a huge part of it is with the community partnerships, the vendors that the hospital work with. Um, so yeah, very important for you. What about kind of on the on the other side of things? Anything that has been tried in the last few years or further out than that that is being discarded, not necessarily be, for political reasons or because of a lack of interest, but because there's a recognition that, hey, we thought this was a great idea. It didn't play out quite as well as we wanted it to. So we're going to let that go in service to the larger mission. So I think that when I hear that question, I think what we haven't seen work is let's create, insert title, Chief Diversity Equity Officer, and not give that person any resources or ability to do anything or make any real change in an organization. If you create this position, if you set up this department, but put them over here and you don't connect that work to everything else that's happening around the organization, and you don't connect that work to the other strategic priorities, you don't resource that well, you're not gonna see change. These programs can't just be something that live over here on an island by themselves. They can't exist in the vacuum. So I think where we've seen why some organizations are peeling back or going the other direction or literally laying off some of these roles is because they weren't given the ability to succeed. They weren't given the resources to actually make change happen. And so I think that's one thing that doesn't work. And where we've seen a lot of success and some of the clients that Ali and I have worked with is they have the position, but they're also resourcing them and they're also connecting them. And they're also bringing those individuals in those departments into other conversations around the organization. Like how do we solve access together? How do we improve employee engagement together? Knowing that inclusion and blogging are key parts of driving engagement, right? So these conversations need to happen together in collaboration and parallel and not separate from each other. And that's where I think we've seen things be unsuccessful. Yeah, I think that's a great point. If you just hire a chief diversity equity inclusion officer or you just create like a calendar of observances, that's not enough. And that's just that check the box 
attitude or activity that's not going to be productive. We're lucky enough to work with health systems that are doing the opposite, right? Not only do they have their chief officer, but they're building their teams and building them more and more each year. And then like James said, also those teams are then working in conjunction with every other department in the health system. So that's the way to, to just move this forward and to keep this, this work at the forefront. I think one more thing that I would add is to our earlier conversation that we're having is around, if you're not telling the story into why you're doing this work or why you're putting in place programs that are specifically focused on helping with some of these populations of people, you're, you might get, you're going to get pushback, right? So for example, if your data is telling you that you, know, you have a gap in care and infant mortality among African-American women, and you're going to put a, together a program that's going to help solve for that. If you're not communicating to your organization, your community, like why you're doing that, in the data that's leading you down building this program, people might ask, like, why are we only doing this for this population of people? Like, all populations matter. Or So you have to be able to tell a story, and that comes from the why, it comes from your data, and it comes from communicating clearly, like, how helping this population is going to close that gap in care, but it's also going to help all of our populations, because now we'll have in place better processes, better systems, better controls. So... It goes back to just making sure that your communications and your story are really clear from the beginning. But I'm, I'm thinking about, we said, James, and it's Black Lives Matter. Well, don't all lives matter? And the whole thing, and obviously some of that was just obnoxious political pushback. But I also think that there was, especially early on, a moment where to some people it genuine, genuinely wasn't clear, like what the message was and Obviously, the point being not that it's anything is at the expense of anybody else, but let's get everybody up here. Yeah, that's actually how a lot of our work starts is that explaining the why. And some of that is explaining what this work is. And then you have to answer it at the forefront of like what it's not. So for the example, like Black Lives Matter, of course, all lives matter. But we're talking about this population because of the data or because of our community, what we see. So, yeah, so the why is like where we start everything to create that understanding, to create awareness in the health system. And it's just the most important part. And no matter what side of the aisle you stand on, you have to make this be a non-political issue, right? It doesn't, no matter what party you associate with or what state you're even in or what laws are in place. I think what was so great about the conversation we had in our claim was that they were saying this, we weren't saying this, is that this is not a political thing. This cannot be a political thing. If it is that, or if we let it be, then it's not going to be successful. This is about us filling a need for our community, a need for our community is with this population of people where we are seeing gaps in care, where they're, they don't have access or we're seeing lower quality scores. So you have to, as much as possible, pull out the political part of it. I know that's going to be hard to do in an election year, but I think that's one of the tasks for these programs. For this. What are a couple of questions, this is my standard question, what are a couple of questions that healthcare leaders need to be asking now? Again, in the context of what we've learned over the last three to four years, the things that we've tried, the new information we have, the data that we have, regardless of where you are in the process, what are the questions that you need to ask in order to advance DEI work? And Feel free to answer this in the context of um, diversity and inclusion within the workplace or health equity or both. I don't know if I have this specific question, but I would say they need to start by understanding where their team members are, right? So we, you know, like an assessment 
of what the perception is of your organization. Do you really have an inclusive organization? Do you really have team members across from frontline staff all the way up to providers and executives that feel that they can come to this place and be their best selves and if they have that feeling of belonging? So I think that's where it needs to start. It's like, because you may think you have a culture of a certain type, right? But until you really like ask the questions of your team members, you don't know that answer. A couple of questions that come to mind for me are, and we asked this question with our client when we were on site is, does your workforce represent the diversity of the communities that you serve? In some cases, healthcare systems and hospitals serve very diverse co communities and others, not so much. I think we always want to try to match the, the patients and consumers that we serve. So that's one question is understanding what is the makeup of your workforce and how diverse is it? And how does that compare to the patients that are entering our building and the communities that we serve? I think another too is, are we really serving everyone? I'm sure if we looked at mission vision statements for most healthcare systems, a lot of healthcare systems they have, we're here to serve all, but are you really serving all? If there are gaps in care for some people or some populations, whether it's race or gender. And so I, I, I would challenge the executive team to really look at that data and say, are we really fulfilling our mission in this way? Because we may think we are by providing standardized care, which we hear a lot about standardized care is good mostly, but if it's not serving everyone, then that's, there's a mess there, right? So I think digging a little bit deeper into fulfilling mission and making sure that the care that you're delivering and the safety and quality are, the scores you're seeing are the same across all your populations of patients and consumers that you're serving. Well, Allie and James, I really appreciate the insight and the time. It's a tough issue, ongoing, challenging issue. So I really appreciate the thoughtfulness that, that you both bring to the work and bring to this conversation. Anything else that we didn't cover that needs to be said? I would just say, don't stop doing the work. When you think like you're not actually seeing a difference or if you're not seeing a difference in data or surveys, or it feels like you're investing, but you're not getting any return, it's a journey and don't give up because you're doing the right thing. By thinking about this, by forcing the conversation, by looking at data, by asking questions of your workforce, of your community, that's how we're going to make a difference. And so I would just say, don't stop doing the work if you don't see results right away, because it's work that is very important that needs to continue. Allie, last word to you if you want it. <laughs> yeah, I, of course, agree with everything James just said. And no, I think that's the exciting part of our work is that everyone, every health system that we work with is on a different part of that journey and that's okay. <laughs> you have to just start somewhere. And like you said, Ship, I, it is, I guess, still politically charged or a hard conversation to have, but it's not a reason to not have it, right? So we still have to have this conversation. Everyone knows on this call, especially and if you're in healthcare, that it's the moral imperative. If you're in healthcare, you're in healthcare because you care about people. You want to do the right thing by people. And I think Diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, whatever you call it, that addresses it on both sides. It addresses it for your internal people and it addresses it for the patients that you care for. Well, again, Allie and James, thanks so much. Appreciate the insight and um, excited for people to hear the conversation and be sort of re-energized to keep doing the work. Yes. Thank you.